Alrighty, Democrats gain in the generic ballot amid talk of socialism. The government comes after religious Americans again, and the media demonstrate how they drive Americans to the right. We are live in Dallas. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, let's get into it. So, a lot to get to here today, a lot to get to, a lot to, get to tonight. You know, President Trump uh, is trolling the left again. We'll get to that. We'll also get to Andrew Cuomo, who's an idiot. First, first. First, I'd like to remind y'all, this is Texas. Come on. Everybody loves their Second Amendment rights. And if you are a gun lover, if you are a gun lover, then you need to enter to win your brand new gun from the USCCA. If not, what are you waiting for? You're about to miss the deadline. The gun a day giveaway ends very soon. You could get up to 17 chances to win your gun daily, but only if you act right now. Could be 17 Kimber, 17 Glock, 17 SIGs, or even 17 AR-15s. Head over to DefendYourFamilyNow.com to reveal which gun you could be taking home today. But hurry, the free guns aren't going to last for long. Today's gun disappears at midnight tonight. The USCCA wants to get more guns into the hands of responsibly armed Americans like you because the left will try to take away your gun rights. The USCCA will fight back. They are here to help train and protect the protectors, so don't put it off. Don't miss your chance because you could win a new gun every single day. Just go to DefendYourFamilyNow.com to enter right now. Again, you only have until midnight tonight to win today's gun. Go to DefendYourFamilyNow.com. That is DefendYourFamilyNow.com. The USCCA does wonderful work educating people who want to carry guns legally and in law-abiding fashion, making the country a safer place, go check them out right now at DefendYourFamilyNow.com. Again, that is DefendYourFamilyNow.com. Okay. So the Democrats have decided on their program for the next election cycle. And their program for the next election cycle goes something like this. Socialism plus race talk plus getting up in our grill. That is the basic idea of the Democratic platform come 2018 and come 2020 and right now. And President Trump, I think, actually has this relatively well-pagged in, in his own peculiar fashion. Uh, the president tweeted out this today. It's pretty spectacular. The president tweeted out, happy birthday to the leader of the Democrat Party, <laughs> Maxine Waters. And I will admit, the president of the United States is a master troll. I mean, he is just fantastic at trolling, folks. Clearly, he is ready to troll Maxine Waters, but what he says has a ring of truth to it. The Democratic Party is no longer the party of even Chuck Schumer. The Democratic Party is now the party of people like Maxine Waters and the party of people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and the party of Bernie Sanders. And the key to this whole philosophy, the key to the whole left philosophy is that America is not that wonderful. America is not that great. So Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, who's in a running gun battle with his brother Chris for stupidest Cuomo in America, I'll get to Chris a little bit later on. Andrew Cuomo did a speech, I believe it was last night, and it was released today, in which he suggested that he, he has a certain perspective on America. Here's what Andrew Cuomo, the block of wood that, that runs New York, had to say about the United States. We're not gonna make America great again. It was never that great. We have not reached greatness. We will reach greatness when every American is fully engaged. We will reach greatness when discrimination and stereotyping against women, 51% of our population is gone, and every woman's full potential is realized and unleashed, 
and every woman is making her full contribution. When that happens, this nation is going to be taken even That is one of the stupidest things I have ever heard, and we are all stupider for having heard it. So even Andrew Cuomo was, was bright enough to realize that this was not a smart thing to say. So his office clarified. They released a statement after he said this, and here was their statement. Governor Cuomo disagrees with the president. The governor believes America is great and that her full greatness will be fully realized when every man, woman, and child has full equality. America has not yet reached its maximum potential. So in other words, what he meant when he said America was not great and has never been great is that America is great but is not great enough. Which I don't know about you guys, that's what I heard. Right? That's what I, when I first heard that, I was like, of course he means America is great. Now, the truth is that the reason that he has to say this is because he's running against Cynthia Nixon. This is not a minority viewpoint in the Democratic Party. It's a growing viewpoint inside the Democratic Party that America is a bad place. Now, in order for you to come up with the idea that America is a bad place, you have to be comparing America to something that doesn't exist. And when you, when you listen to what Cuomo says right there, he basically makes that clear. What he says is... We have to live in a country where 51% of the population is, is treated with utter respect and there is no crime and everything is wonderful and everybody loves each other and unicorns poop rainbows and everything is just as utopian as it could possibly be. Well, if that is your vision of what America has to be in order for you to say that America is great or was great, then America will never be great because that's something you can never reach. It's very easy to say that something, if you're comparing your wife to a model who's not even a real person who ages, right? some sort of virtual model, then your wife is never going to be that. Okay, if you're comparing America to something that is never going to exist, it's very easy to say America was never great. Now, of course America was great. Of course America is great. It is the greatest force for bringing people all around the world out of poverty and history. America, more than anything, is great not because it is financially powerful or militarily powerful, although. I think you could argue that there are hundreds of millions of people around the world not living in poverty and not living under tyranny who would thank us for being that powerful. The reason that America really is great is because we are founded on the greatest idea in the history of humanity when it comes to government. And that is the idea of God-given rights protected by limited government. Right? That's what makes America fantastic. Correct, it's the liberty and freedom that America represents that the left hates though, right? That's the part that they don't actually like. And what Chris Cuomo is doing here is he is trying to head off at the past Cynthia Nixon. So Cynthia Nixon, you'll remember from being the least likable member of the Sex and the City crew, which is saying a lot. And she is running against him and she is a full-fledged, hardcore socialist. She was at Netroots a couple of weeks ago and she said, listen, if they're gonna call us all socialists, we may as well be socialists. And Cuomo needs to cut her off at the pass, right? She'll probably win 30% of the primary vote against, Chris Cuomo, uh, against Andrew Cuomo. And therefore, he needs to move to the left to cut her off. What's happening is a re-centering re of the Democratic Party. There's a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks, if you've watched any of the election analysis, about how this whole socialist upswing, it's being exaggerated inside the Democratic Party. Nate Silver tweeted out that 89% of all the candidates who won primaries are mainstream Democrats, not socialists. But that's not really the question. The, the question is, are mainstream Democrats now embracing the tenets of socialism in order to prevent socialists from drinking their milkshake? And that's what's happening with Cuomo. Cuomo is moving to the left specifically in order to prevent Cynthia Nixon and people like Cynthia Nixon from drinking his milkshake. And you can see this growing inside the Democratic Party. There's a Gallup poll that came out in the last couple of days, and it showed that a majority of Democrats no longer hold a positive view of capitalism. Nearly 60% of Democrats feel good about socialism. Now, you know who holds a positive view of capitalism? 
who does not hold a positive view of capitalism but feels really good about socialism, somebody who spent their entire life living under capitalism and no time living under socialism. Now, in a second, we're going to talk about what the left says about socialism and why it's actually not only incorrect, it is factually, it, it, it's just a lie. Well, what they say about socialism, what they believe socialism is, is what socialism is not. When you hear folks on the left say Norway is a socialist country, Norway is not a socialist country. Norway is a capitalist country with some socialist welfare state policies. The economy of Norway is run as a capitalist entity. Even the state-owned enterprises are run in profit-seeking fashion. Okay, the basis of the Democratic Socialists of America, it's in their platform, is that profit is to be eschewed. You're not supposed to have profit. Profit's bad. So even Norway says that's not correct. But the Democrats have sort of shifted the definition of socialism to make it warm and fuzzy and Nordic, when in reality that's not actually what's happening at all. So the polls show Democrats are moving in the direction of, of socialism. And what you see when you actually dig down into this is that Democrats don't even know what socialism is. They don't even know what they're talking about. Perfect example of this is the Vermont Democratic gubernatorial candidate, who, Christine Halquist, who happens to be a transgender woman, which means that he is a biological man who believes that he is a woman. And Christine Halquist was on CNN talking about his program for Vermont. I use his, again, the reason I say this is because I use pronouns based on biology, not based on what you think you are. Christine Halquist is being quizzed by CNN about his perspective on the, the economy. And here is what Christine Halquist has to say. It's pretty amazing. More Democrats viewed socialism favorably than capitalism. But when faced with a choice between the two, it does sound like you look more favorably, again, the labels you have an issue with, on the ideas behind socialism. Well, yes, and I, I'm, I'm not sure I even know what socialism is, so, so, so I just don't have the, the background to, to answer that question. I don't know what socialism is, but I am one. I mean, there are some other things that this person thinks they are, but they don't understand the definition of. If you can't describe socialism, then you are not a socialist. I think that is fair to say. Uh, and if you are living in Vermont, it's easy to get away with this sort of thing because you are living in Vermont. It is not quite as easy to get away with this sort of thing when you are living in Cuba or Venezuela, which are significantly more socialist in terms of issuing the profit motive and nationalizing all resources than is, than is Vermont. But this is indicative of the left's embrace of the language of the hard left without actually embracing anything remotely resembling the actual concepts that they say they are embracing. Right? It's a lie that is being told. And of course, the chief purveyor of this lie, the, the, the new ideological thought leader of the Democratic Party, shockingly enough, is of course Bernie Sanders. So Bernie Sanders has become the font of wisdom in the Democratic Party, which is a pretty incredible rise from a guy who was kicked out of a commune for not doing work back in the 1970s. <laughs> when you imagine a guy who, who had to run as an independent because the Democrats didn't even want him on their team really, and now he is the leader of the Democratic Party, it shows how radical the Democrats have become. I'm gonna show you some tape of our good friend Bernie Sanders in just a second. But first, let's talk about your sleep quality. So you're not getting enough sleep. We all know it, you're not getting enough sleep. And that is why you need to try out Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep has built a sleep quiz. Indeed, it takes two minutes to complete that sleep quiz. And they use the answers to match your body type and sleep preferences to that perfect mattress. Whether you are a side sleeper, hot sleeper, whether you like a plush or firm bed with Helix, there is no more guessing or confusion. All you have to do is go to helixsleep.com slash Ben. You take that two-minute sleep quiz, and they will match you to a mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. For couples, 
Helix can even split that mattress down the middle, providing individual support needs and feel preferences for each side. They even have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. So what are you waiting for? Go on your phone right now and go get a Helix Sleep mattress right now. You get 125 bucks off. Right. We love our discounts. Right now, Helix is offering up to $125 off all mattress orders. Again, that's $125 off at helixsleep.com slash Ben. That is helixsleep.com slash Ben for $125 off. It's a great mattress. Everybody loves Helix Sleep. Come on. So go check it out right now. Okay, so Bernie Sanders is the ideological thought leader of the Democratic Party. He is the wise man upon the mountain who sits there conveying his genius to the rest of the American public. And he was... Yeah, he, he's stupid. Um, but Bernie Sanders, I run out of accolades for Bernie Sanders. He was on CBS this morning discussing why America is fundamentally immoral and wrong. And this links up with the Andrew Cuomo perspective that America is inherently bad. What, may, what would make America better is if America were no longer America. If America were to embrace all of these other programs and policies that America has historically not embraced because we believe in individual liberty over collective redistribution. Right, that's the basic idea. So Bernie Sanders is on with CBS this morning, and he explains why America is fundamentally immoral, it's fundamentally immoral, and it is fundamentally wrong, and I would like my pudding cup, please, before I keel over. My blood sugar is simply too low. I cannot handle this any longer. Please play the clip. I think that there is growing resentment, not only among young people, who in many cases are going to have a lower standard of living than their parents. I think that there is an understanding or something fundamentally immoral and wrong about a nation in which we have three people who own more wealth than the bottom half of the American people. That does not make sense. One of the things that you have to love about Bernie Sanders is that his take on economics is so disconnected from the reality of, of economics. The only thing I can think to analogize it to is the use of his hands to what he's saying. Right? They're, they're, they're completely disconnected. And he's just saying, he's sitting there and he's talking to you and you don't know what he is doing with his hands, but it just seems like at the end he's going to be doing the Macarena. No one understands why. No one understands why. But what's really great about Bernie is what Bernie does is he says, there are problems in life and these problems are bad problems and that means socialism. So, so okay, there are three rich people and a lot of poor people. Unless you can show me that the rich people stole from the poor people, I don't know what Bernie Sanders' problem is. Bernie, I don't begrudge Bernie Sanders his lake house other than I paid for it because I'm a taxpayer. But if he had actually worked in private industry and bought a lake house, then I certainly don't begrudge him his lake house. Bernie Sanders' entire priority is pointing out inequalities that are endemic to the human condition. Right? Every society has inequality. The question is not the inequality. The question is how are poor people in the United States living? And the answer is poor people in the United States live better than poor people at any time in any place in human history, and it's not particularly close. And that is not to say, that's not to say that we can't have community programs that are designed to help poor people. It doesn't mean that there isn't endemic corruption to the American government that benefits some at the expense of others. What it does mean is that for him to sit there and suggest that income inequality is indicative of America being immoral is to ignore all of human history as well as any context. And that's a serious problem for, for, for Bernie Sanders in this entire perspective. Now, the good news for Bernie Sanders is that the media will never ask him about any of this. And I, I want to show you the evidence of this. So CBS's Biana Galadraga, uh, she was interviewing Bernie, and they reached the end of the interview. And he's gone through, you know, 15 minutes of interview. And when they reach the end of the interview, she finally says, she's, she's about to ask him how he's going to pay for any of this. And then, shockingly, they run out of time. I just, it's unbelievable. They just run out. It's amazing. Watch. 
course, the response from many is we like the ideas. How do we pay for them? This conversation, of course, will continue, but we've run out of time, Senator. <laughs> Thank oh, you for joining Oh, what a pity. Oh, what a pity. Now, it's funny how the conversation always runs out of time at just that point in the conversation. Right, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, listen, when I offered to either debate her or have her on the show, I wasn't doing so. I wasn't doing so because I am just in love with the idea of spending time with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm doing so because I would like for someone to actually ask her a series of questions about how she intends to pay for things. Because what happens is she goes on left shows and the media and they say things like, well, how are you going to pay for that? And she says, well, the Republicans never pay for anything. And it's like, well, that's kind of true, but how are you going to pay for, I don't know, the quadrupling of federal spending that you are now proposing? And then they run out of time. And it's highly, highly irritating. But that's the good news for Democrats. All they have to do is go out and complain about how the world is, and then they can pose solutions that have no relation to reality. By the way, this is a terrible recipe for life. Just for every individual in the audience, leading a successful life is about recognizing the realities of the world and then dealing with those realities as they are. The people have the hardest time in life, whether it's in relationships or whether it is in economics, those people are people who refuse to recognize the realities on the ground. Instead, they rebel against the realities. It shouldn't be this way. It shouldn't be this way. Well, there are certain things that shouldn't be because it's an act of oppression. Right? The American Revolution happened because there are certain things that shouldn't be this way and that we could change. But there are a lot of things about how human beings operate that are not changeable. Right? The fact is that there are certain people who are going to be smarter than others. As I know well, there are certain people who are going to be taller than others. Right? There, are lots of, there are lots of discrepancies and disparities in life accepting those discrepancies and disparities and then trying to deal with those, not on a collective level, but by working within the rules is the way you have a successful society. Complaining and yelling at the moon is the way you have an unsuccessful society and a society in which we tear each other apart and tear each other down. But that is, I think, what... But that, I think, is what so many Democrats and members of the media want at this point, is to separate us and tear us down, which, is, which brings us to the second prong of the Democratic program. And that second prong is, of course, the race issue. Right? So we've already heard that their first prong is a bunch of free crap, and they won't say how to pay for it, and America's terrible. That's prong number one. And then there is prong number two. And prong number two is everybody I disagree with is a racist. Now, the best example that I could find today, this is really an astonishing example. So if you followed the news at all today, what you saw was that John Brennan, who's the former CIA director, under Barack Obama had his security clearance revoked by President Trump. And frankly, I think rightly so. I don't even understand the policy where your security clearance operates beyond your actual working for the government. It doesn't make any sense to me. If you want a contract with the government, for anybody, right, this is not a partisan issue, it seems to me weird they are out of government, but somebody can come spill classified secrets to you, and it's totally okay because you still have your security clearance. With Brennan, it's a particular issue because Brennan is a, an extraordinarily politically active Democrat. He was, even when he was at the CIA, Kimberly Strassel over at the Wall Street Journal had a piece back in July in which she detailed exactly how it was that Brennan was basically feeding information to Harry Reid in order to have Harry Reid come out and suggest that there was Russian collusion between Russia and, and then-candidate Donald Trump. Strassel talked about that at the time. So revoking Brennan's security clearance seems to me like kind of a no-brainer, honestly. And the, and the White House explained why exactly they did it. They said, Mr. Brennan's lying and recent conduct characterized by increasingly frenzied commentary is wholly inconsistent with access to the nation's most closely held secrets and facilitates the aim of our adversaries, which is to sow division and chaos. Now, it seems to me what they really should just say is that Brennan doesn't work with the government anymore. He doesn't need a security clearance. It's a little bit weird to have this particular president talking about like frenzied commentary and eccentric conduct and behavior as a rationale for not seeing secret information. I mean, it, 
He's the president, he's elected, Brendan is not elected, so he has the ability to say that, fine. But the part of this that's really weird is what the Democrats actually had to say about this, what the left is saying about this, because what, what you're about to hear is that there are people on the left who believe that the Brennan thing has to do with racism. <laughs> Brennan, if you hadn't noticed, is not a person of color. Right? Brennan is whiter than the backside of this piece of paper. Right? But it has to do with racism. I'll explain in just a minute. But first, let's talk about 23andMe. It's a DNA testing service that ought to be used on Elizabeth Warren at the first available opportunity. Not without her permission, of course. We wouldn't want anything like that. But she should take a 23andMe ancestry quiz because I think that she owes it to herself. Really, not, to, not even to us, to herself to know about her Cherokee roots, where those high cheekbones came from. The 23andMe Health and Ancestry Service includes reports on how DNA can influence your weight, sleep quality, caffeine intake, sense of taste, whether you're likely to be lactose intolerant, as more and more. It's very easy to do. All you have to do is spit into a tube provided in that 23andMe kit and then mail that saliva back to the lab to be analyzed and then give you all sorts of information about yourself, including your ancestry. So if you ever decide to apply for a professorship at Harvard Law School under some minority guys, I'm just speculating here, then it would be good to have this sort of information lying around. Okay, order your 23andMe Health and Ancestry Service Kit right now at 23andMe.com. It really is a lot of fun. I've tried it myself. Go check it out. 23andMe.com. That's 23andMe.com. Go check it out right now. So what is so racist about the firing or the, the removal of security clearance from John Brennan? No one knows, but the Huffington Post knows. So... This is what the Huffington Post says. So it wasn't just John Brennan. The White House is now talking about removing security clearances from a lot of people. A lot of people. They're talking about removing it from James Clapper and James Comey, who doesn't even have a security clearance anymore. Uh, Michael Hayden, who doesn't have a security clearance anymore. Uh, Sally Yates, Susan Rice, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and Bruce Orr. All those people they want to remove security clearances from. Sounds fine to me. Now, is it good politics to remove it from people who criticize you? It's not smart politics. But it would be good if we just had a blanket rule, again, that if you're not employed with the government, your security clearance goes away, and that's the end of the story. But here is how the Huffington Post plays this. And I kid you not, this is their lead headline over at the Huffington Post. Criticized for racism, Trump goes after black former national security advisor. Who are we talking about? Susan Rice. So I just named to you, let's see, we can count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people. One of those people is black. They pick out the one person who's black he's talking about, and they say that the entire thing is racist. This is how far the left is willing to stretch in order to accuse the president of racism. This, of course, is why they are so overjoyed about Amarosa Manigault, who suddenly is earning a strange new respect from the left. Right? The lady that they called a liar and uh, whatever the female version of an Uncle Tom is, now she has earned strange new respect from the left. I, I mean that seriously. There's an article in the Chicago Tribune today. It's a column. It is by a woman named Dalene Glanton. And here is the column. Title, Omarosa may have earned back her black card. <laughs> See, but guys, guys, that's not racist. That's not racist to say Sharon, that's not racist. It's racist to take, John, uh, to take away John Brennan's security clearance. That's racism. That's true, vicious, Bull Connor racism. But saying that Omarosa Manigault just got back her black card because she criticized Trump, that's not racism at all. That's just, that's just spicy talk. Right, so, I mean, the reason I say that is because literally this was the argument that was made a, a week and a half ago about Sarah Zhang over at the New York Times. They said that that's just how people of color talk about white people, and you have to understand that's not racism. It's just how people talk, right? I mean, it's just kind of spicy talk that you use. In any case, here is 
the column. Come on, African Americans, have a heart. Amorosa Manigault Newman desperately wants her black card back. I think we ought to consider giving it to her. Look, I know we can't take this exclusive membership card awarded to every black person at birth for granted. It takes a lot to get it taken away, and it's only fitting that black people have to jump through a lot of hoops to get it back. Maybe Amorosa deserves a second chance. Amorosa's card was put in jeopardy when she sat shade onto the stage at a Donald Trump campaign rally in Ohio two years ago and criticized Barack Obama for trying to sell us hope. African Americans collectively snatched her card away when she took a job in Trump's White House. Is this a thing that, is this, like, is this how it works? I'm pretty sure not. I'm like, where, is there an actual card? Is there a crew of people who go to your house? Do they remove the card from you? Do they revoke it over the phone like a credit card? Does it go to a credit agency? Do you, if you're really good at being black, do you get like a black black card? Or like, or like a platinum black card if you're really extraordinary? According to this columnist, now that Amarosa is promoting a new tell-all book, she's practically on her news begging for black people's forgiveness, and she has come bearing gifts. Okay, so now that now she's criticizing Trump, this means she's legitimately black again, so this column concludes, she's given African-Americans yet another example of what happens every time one of us tries to give Trump a chance. She has forced Trump to reveal on Twitter his downright disdain for African-American women. She has challenged black people not only to think smart, but act smart, especially in these troubled times, black card or not. Amorosa is still one of ours. She has nowhere else to go. Uh, so, toler nothing but tolerance, nothing but tolerance from the left, but don't worry, they are out there fighting President Trump's vicious, brutal racism. I also appreciate that, that everything about Amorosa, like Trump criticizing Amorosa is now racist. When they were criticizing her as a sociopath and a liar five minutes ago, then it wasn't racist, but now Trump is a racist, so Seth Meyers, says that Trump is a racist with a rotted out soul. I mean, this is, this is real comedy styling from Seth Meyers right here. Late night comedians really just showing their comedic chops night in and night out. Here is Seth Meyers making you laugh with your mind, not with your mouth. We had our fun here, but in regards to this Omarosa business, let's not forget that anyone calls a black woman a dog is a racist with a rotted out soul. Okay, and that's when the clapter comes, right? It's not laughter, it's clapter. That's where the entire audience awkwardly claps. And then we say, oh, it's a new kind of comedy, a comedy without laughter. It's so deep, it's so great. Now, how Democrats hope to win with this message that Trump is a racist and by extension, everybody else is a racist. And they're, they're actually making that argument explicit, like Charles Blow over at the New York Times. He says that if the, if the, the aptly names Charles, Charles Blow at the New York Times, he says if, the Trump N-word tape is real. Amaros has been going around peddling this idea that there is a tape of President Trump saying the N-word. So far, we have seen zero evidence of this. I'm extraordinarily skeptical of this claim because he's been president for a year and a half. He ran a highly contentious race. We got tape of him talking about grabbing women by the genitals. You figure if that one's out there, probably somebody would have paid for it by this point. But Charles Blow says if that tape surfaces, it would increase his support because everybody in this room, everybody on the right, secretly loves the N-word. Even though I've never used the N-word in my life and hate the N-word, and I've said openly that I think that if President Trump is caught using the N-word disparagingly on tape, it might be time for a primary challenge. Even people like me, I would actually be celebrating if the N-word tape is real, is what Charles Blow has to say. I think that if you found the tape of him using the N-word, it might actually increase his support among the people who support him. Okay. This, is, this does nothing to them. They are so baked in, they believe wholeheartedly in this approach that he is taking. 
the castigation of an entire half of the country as racist, sexist, bigoted, and homophobic didn't work for Hillary Clinton, but they're going to double down on that, and then they're going to combine it with Bernie Sanders' socialism and hope that this somehow achieves electoral victory. Now, maybe it'll work, but only, only if the right is so toxic that it drives the middle away. Because the fact is the left is so toxic, it is driving the middle away. It should be driving the middle away. Their program is to control. Their program is to condemn. Their program is to suggest that anyone who disagrees with them is somehow morally bankrupt. The New York Times has an amazing piece. It just came out tonight, going after me personally, which is always fun. Um, it's, it's always a badge of honor when the New York Times comes after you because... I don't know how to describe it except to say, like, every so often, my two-and-a-half-year-old son just randomly decides to charge me and attack me. <laughs> and it's really cute, and it's really fun, and I let him pretend to knock me over and the whole deal. Except he's cute, and he's two-and-a-half years old. The New York Times has about the same impact, except it's the world's most famous newspaper. So they have a column. There's a column in the New York Times by a woman named Ginia Belafonte. And the column is titled, Ignore, Condescend, Dismiss. Debate Playbook for Men Facing Women. Now you might think that's a really weird title for a column talking about how I challenged a woman to discuss issues with me. Did I ignore? Did I condescend? Did I dismiss? I asked her, I offered to pay money to a charity of her choice or to her campaign to talk with me. But this is somehow ignoring, condescending, or dismissing her. Pretty amazing. I'm gonna go through all of that in just a second. First, I have to remind you that if you are listening to this, then you ought to go over to dailywire.com right now and subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you get your subscription to dailywire.com. That means you get my show. It means you get the Andrew Clavin show. You get the execrable Michael Moles show. I hope they're keeping him in the jail beneath this facility. And you also, when you spend $99 a year and get that annual subscription, you get this, the very greatest in all beverage vessels. Feel the magnificence emanating from it. You are in the presence of the vessel. The Leftist Tears, hot or cold tumbler. You get that with the annual subscription. Also, we have a Sunday special every Sunday when you subscribe at YouTube or iTunes. You get that as well. And that means that you get to see Greg Gutfeld. He's coming on Sunday, which is going to be a blast. So go check that out right now. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So the New York Times is busily castigating everybody on the right side of the aisle. You have them castigating everybody as racist, and now you're castigated as sexist if you ask a Democrat to talk about issues. So this column in the New York Times says, last week, Ben Shapiro, the right-wing pundit, elicited outrage on his behalf from conservatives when he asked the Democratic congressional candidate Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to debate him and, said she did not, and she said she did not owe a response to unsolicited requests from men with bad intentions. Right, that drew outrage because what? And legitimately, the thing about that response that I found so humorous, like legit, when I first saw that pop up on my Twitter feed, I actually started laughing out loud. It is so funny. What's funny about that is that there are about five different responses that would have sufficed. She could have just said, nah. Or she could have just said, you know what? You're not running against me. Not all that interested, but thanks. She could have done a dozen different ways. But instead, she got together with a room of her top advisors and decided to suggest that I was catcalling her by asking her for a debate. Now... You may notice, as a member, a charter member of Ben Shapiro and the Texas Jew Boys, I am not well known for my catcalling abilities. I tried it on my wife recently, and it did not go great. And apparently, but apparently I've just been doing it wrong all these years. If I had just started challenging women on the street to debate, it would have been amazing. When I was in college, I would just stood on a street corner and be like, hey, baby, let's talk some econ. 
How about we redistribute some of those assets? What do you think? <laughs> hey, what in the, what in the world? So she suggested that I was catcalling her. And then the New York Times suggests that I was somehow doing something deeply wrong. This is what they say. Ms. Ocasio-Cortez is under no obligation to debate someone who is not running for anything. She does find herself, however, in the comparatively unusual position of igniting the interests of men who want to argue with her, whatever their motives. Well, I think it has more to do with the fact that you've declared her the face of the Democratic Party than that I just feel like talking to a former bartender from New York. I barely have friends to talk to, let alone random bartenders from New York. Why would I possibly do that? It was so funny. Somebody from the New York Times actually called me up about this story. And they said, so, do you think it was sexist to offer $10,000 to talk to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? I said, no, I'd give $50,000 to talk to Bernie right now on the phone. Are you kidding? <laughs> but the idea here is, of course, that if you try to talk with the left, you are a sexist and a racist. If you don't try to talk with the left, you are a sexist and a racist. No matter what you do, you are a sexist and a racist. And then they wonder why people are running screaming from them. And then the screaming is going to become even louder because this is just an astonishing case that broke yesterday. It's, it's really an amazing thing. And th that is this case having to do with Masterpiece Cake Shop. So the government is coming after Masterpiece Cake Shop again. So Masterpiece Cake Shop, in case you didn't recall, is a religious baker. He lives in Colorado. His name is Jack Phillips. And he declined to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. And the, this went all the way up to the Supreme Court because the Colorado Civil Rights Commission decided to fine him inordinate amounts of money because he would not bake a cake for a lesbian wedding because he is a Christian baker, which is his right in the United States of America. So this goes all the way up to the Supreme Court. This goes all the way to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court issues a very narrow ruling in which they say that you're not allowed to tell a religious baker that he must bake a same-sex wedding cake unless you're really nice about it. That's really what that ruling says. Now, for people who are celebrating the ruling, the ruling basically said that this, the Colorado Civil Rights Commission was mean about it and condescending about it, and that's why it was unconstitutional. But if they had just said, you have to bake the cake, and done it in nice fashion, it would have been okay. Well, that gave all sorts of, of ideas to folks on the left. So on Tuesday, Jack Phillips filed a new lawsuit against the Colorado Civil Rights Commission because the Civil Rights Commission has apparently issued a preliminary ruling penalizing him again this time for not baking a gender transition celebration cake, which I didn't even know was a thing. I mean, the real question is, is it a cake or is it a pie? In any case, <laughs> on the same day, the high court agreed to review the masterpiece case, according to the Daily Caller, an attorney named Autumn Scardina called Phillips' shop and asked him to create a cake celebrating a sex transition. The caller asked the cake include a blue exterior and a pink interior, a reflection of Scardina's transgender identity. All right. Phillips declined to create the cake. In the months that followed, the bakery received requests for cakes featuring marijuana use, sexually explicit messages, calm down, guys, and satanic symbols as well. One solicitation submitted by email asked the cake shop to create a three-tiered white cake depicting Satan licking a functional nine-inch sex toy. This guy has some creative ideas about cakes and too much time on his hands. Uh, so Phillips believes that Scardina made all these requests and then finally decided to go to the Civil Rights Commission and sue. So the Civil Rights Commission issued a preliminary penalty and now he is suing the Civil Rights Commission. The left really wants to play this game. This is the game they want to play. This is the game where they force you to believe all the things that you don't believe and to behave in ways that they see fit to force you to behave. If they think there's a winning formula, socialism, you're a racist, 
and you're a religious bigot, and so we're going to force you to do everything in our power to violate your religion outside of your church and probably inside of your church in pretty short order. I just don't think that that is a, a solid pitch. And the media are helping out in, in making a non-solid pitch for Democrats. Honestly, like Donald Trump is very unpopular as a president just in terms of his popularity rating. He's popular with a particular group of people, but his overall popularity rating is not particularly high. He has a 50-50 shot at winning re-election because the left is this garbage. So the New York Times, how crazy is the left? This is, this is my favorite story of the day. This story is so good. It's so good. I, I saved it for you. I bring it to you. I bring it to you and I offer it in humble obeisance for your fandom. It is just spectacular. So there is, a, there is a advice column. There's an advice column in the New York Times. I know. Why would you read it? What would you want their advice for? But apparently some people do. So, so somebody writes a letter and he says that his name is Whitey. Now this should have been the New York Times' first clue that maybe they were getting trolled. It was not, because we have now reached the point in American politics where we are now violating what is called Poe's Law. Poe's Law is an internet law that basically says that if you are not extraordinarily clear about when you are being facetious on the internet, everyone will take you literally. That's exactly what happened in this case. Here is the advice letter. Dear Sugars, yes, that's the name of the, the advice columnist. I'm riddled with shame, white shame. This isn't helpful to me or to anyone, especially people of color. I feel like there is no me outside of my white, upper-middle-class, cisgender identity. I feel like my literal existence hurts people, like I'm always taking up space that should belong to someone else. A human being wrote this. I consider myself an ally. I research proper etiquette, read writers of color, vote in a way that will not harm people of color and other vulnerable people. I engage in conversations about privilege with other white people. Boy, person is a real party. I take courses that will further educate me. I donated to Black Lives Matter, yet I fear that nothing is enough. Part of my fear comes from the fact that privilege is invisible to itself. What if I'm doing or saying insensitive things without realizing it? And then it continues. It continues. There's more. I don't talk about my feelings because it's hard to justify doing so while people of color are dying due to systemic racism and making this conversation about me would be again centering whiteness. Yet bottling it up makes me feel an existential anger that I have a hard time channeling since I don't know my place. Instead of harnessing my privilege for greater good, I'm curled up in a ball of shame. How can I be more than my heritage? This was signed Whitey. But here's the best part. Okay, that's not even the good part. The good part is the response from Steve Allman, one of the sugars. Shame and anger are powerful emotions, Whitey. <laughs> yeah, let's give these people power over our government. And yet your central struggle is around identity. You write that you don't know your place. In fact, your letter describes your place as a kind of prison cell of privilege. What you really feel is trapped within an identity that marks you inescapably as an oppressor. This feeling is especially acute right now, I suspect, because you're suddenly immersed in a milieu that reflects your privilege back to you. We do live in a culture steeped in white supremacy and class bigotry, as well as patriarchal values. This is the New York Times writing. Okay, so the answer is, go kill yourself, basically. 
And their final solution is that they, they say that this person should give more money to Black Lives Matter, of course, and then buy an extra subscription to the New York Times, and then read a lot of Ta-Nehisi codes and that kind of thing. And then, you, then that's how you get over your white privilege, and that's how you feel better about yourself, is by reading a bunch of people who tell you that you're a piece of crap and you, shouldn't, and you really have no place in the world. That is the best way to do this. Why, oh why, would people resonate to Donald Trump? I can't understand it. It's just a puzzlement. And then the media continued pushing this stuff. So I promised you that we'd do the bookended Cuomos. So we started with Andrew Cuomo, the stupider of the Cuomo brothers. But don't worry, his brother is giving him a run for his money. Chris Cuomo, over on CNN, had this to say. He's, again, driving Trump voters back into the arms of Trump, saying, we treat Trump better than we treat our own children because we let him get away with everything. Chris Cuomo, Block of Wood, part two. Why? Because this kind of ugly talk is contagious. It creates a coarseness that leads to unintelligent confrontation. You wouldn't say it at your best. You wouldn't let your kids say it. Why let the president? This is the man charged with the greatest powers okay, in the, the world over the mightiest nation okay. and the most- Stop the idiot. Okay, so he is, uh, I love that. Donald Trump's deeply immoral. You treat him better than you treat your own children. Flashback, Chris Cuomo, like 48 hours ago. If you're a punk who comes to start trouble in a mask and hurt people, you're not about any virtuous cause. You're just somebody who's going to be held to the standard of doing something wrong. But when someone comes to call out bigots and it gets hot, even physical, are they equally wrong as the bigot they are fighting? I argue no. So within, within 72 hours, calling Omarosa a dog is bad. Agree. Fair. Okay. Although, as I said yesterday on the show, President Trump legitimately has called half the population of the United States a dog. It's really... <laughs> You look like a dog. You're fired like a dog. Kristen Stewart dumped Robert Pattinson like a dog. Okay. So that is really, really terrible. But encouraging people in mass to wail on other people in the United States and attack cops with bottles, that's kind of okay. It's kind of okay. I don't know what happened when God passed out the brains. He just went right over the Cuomo family. Alrighty, so, you know what, I think, because well, I want to get to the Q&A here, let, let's, let's do some things I like and some things I hate. Let's do this. Things I like. I, I don't like this. I love this. I savor this. So Jason Kessler is the worst. Jason Kessler is an actual white supremacist. He was the leader of the Unite the Right rally, part one, and then Unite the Right, part two, the pathetic revenge. And he was doing an interview with an actual Nazi, uh, via, in his basement, via a, via a phone. The guy's name is Patrick Little. And what happens next is just delicious to the eyes and the ears. Hey, you get out of my room. Hey, sorry, I'm having an issue here. Oh, oh you got a drunk roommate there? Something like that. Push me like that in my room. What's I want this to stop in my room, Jason. This is my room. Hold on a second. <laughs> Clean your room. I'm going to assume that's apparent there. I'm not sure. Uh, Jason, why are you staying with... You're not staying with an Orthodox Jew, are you? No, it's my father. <laughs> so what happened, for those who missed it, is that Jason Kessler was literally in his father's basement. And his father came to the door and doesn't like that his son is a Nazi and started yelling at him to stop it in the middle of an interview about Nazism. <laughs> also, you, I'm fairly certain this is the first time in history that anyone has uttered the sentence, oh my God, are the Orthodox Jews at the door? Have they come for us? 
Historically, that works the reverse way. Okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. Okay, so hatred galore, let's do this thing. So, the NFL is now initiating male cheerleaders. Are you excited about this? Now, now the truth is that male cheerleaders have been a thing for a long time, but they're the guys who actually pick up the girls and like throw them in the air and everything, right? They actually use, you know, their superior upper body strength and masculinity to perform physical feats. That's usually what they do, but that is not what the NFL is doing anymore. The LA Rams and the New Orleans Saints will have male cheerleaders dancing on their squads now for the first time. And it is just spectacular. Various of these dancers have come out and said, this is a real change, it's really great. They're gonna be doing the same dance moves as the ladies. Now, we have a large audience sitting here right now. Question, ladies in the audience. Give a shout, because I can't see all of you. Ladies in the audience. Okay, so you got a, la a lot of ladies in the audience. When you watch, let's say you watch football, and it, ha it so happens there are some attractive men who play football. Which do you, I hear some enthusiasm for that. Are you more interested in the attractive men who play football, or the men who are performing exactly the same dance moves as the ladies with the pom-poms? Yeah, I, I'm getting the sense that it's the football. And I know that what is definitely gonna pull the NFL out of its rating spiral is, is a real feminization of the sport, a real openness to new aspects of gender that we hadn't actually considered before. One day, a young boy might not just aspire to play linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys, a young boy might aspire, a young boy might aspire, well, I mean, if he wants to make the playoffs, he won't, but in any case. Just kidding, guys. I'm just kidding. Yeah, look, I, I'll be honest with you. I can't. I got. I got. I got to take the hits where I can get them. I'm a Bears fan. It's a, but it's okay. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. It'll be fine. Everything's good. Okay. So, plus he stands up for the anthem. So thumbs up on that one. But it seems to me that there are certain areas in American life where a little bit of teaching of sports would be good. And the masculine part of sports is a good thing. It's something I want to teach my own son. I'm not sure I want my son to play football because I'm not big on the brain damage, but I would want my son to play baseball. I would want my son to play basketball. I want my son to play sports because I do think that it inculcates not only team spirit, but a sense of responsibility. Sports is a meritocracy. It, it inculcates the idea that you are part of a team and there's something larger than you. All of this is good stuff. Now, it's fun. I don't care if, if boys are dancing. It really makes no difference to me at all. But to try and suggest that this is what the NFL has been lacking is just silly talk. The, the new audiences are going to be drawn in because they need to watch the two guys among the 24 hot women with bare midriffs. That's, that's going to draw the... the and, uh, come on, come on. Okay, so that's a thing that I hate. Other things that I hate. The, uh, so Patton Oswalt was very upset. Patton Oswalt is uh, the guy who is most famous for playing the voice of the rat in Ratatouille. Uh, he's also a, uh, he's a comedian, he's been on a lot of shows, you probably recognize his face from some of these shows. So he tweeted out, he was very angry at me because I challenged Ocasio-Cortez to debate. So he tweeted out, why does Ben Shapiro want to debate Alexander Ocasio-Cortez? He's not running for office, he should debate me. I'm also a short clown no one takes seriously. Fair. Okay, so, kind of funny, right? I mean, all right. 
But the part of this that's weird is that I immediately responded to Patton Oswalt. I said, fine, come on the Sunday special. And suddenly he is gone. Poof. It's magic. So it turns out that as soon as you actually offer someone the ability to talk about the issues, he, I guess I'm catcalling Patton Oswalt now. If you could really, really cut that out. Okay, final thing that I hate today. So this, this one's a little bit spicy. We have a few younger audiences in the crowd, so I'll try to make this PG rated as much as I can. Okay, there's an article from the Daily Mail, uh, and there's another article in uh, Salon today talking about sex robots. Now, this has become a, a new thing that's been pushed by a lot of members of the media. Sex robots are going to take over the future, which is going to put... <laughs> Mr. President, calm down out there. I mean, hardest hit, if sex robots take over the future, hardest hit Stormy Daniels, right? But <laughs> the argument that is now being made is that sex robots could one day help failing marriages. This is according to the Daily Mail. According to an economics professor at the University of British Columbia, and who would you talk to about relationships other than an economics professor? The futuristic droids could improve marriages by making husbands and wives focus more on love and parenting instead of sexual compatibility. In a book called Robot Sex, Social and Ethical Implications, hot seller, Professor Marina Adshade claims the advent of sex robots will change our societal norms around marriage, particularly when it comes to monogamy. She refers to this phenomenon as sexbot-induced social change, and she says that it'll be just like birth control. She says, this availability will give couples greater opportunity to define their own types of marriages. Now, the part of this that's deeply troubling is the idea that the goal of your sex life is solely sexual pleasure. And this, of course, has been a cause on the left for a very, very long time. The idea that you are supposed to separate off relationships and love from sex. You're supposed to separate off sex's role in the creation and bearing of children from actual sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is the be-all, end-all. It's the only thing that matters. And so the natural outgrowth of that is if you can have sex with a robot, but you can live with somebody you like, but you don't actually want to have sex with them, that is totally cool. It's a new kind of marriage. One of the things about marriage that marriage is designed to do, marriage is designed <laughs> to allow you to have sex with a person, presumably of the opposite sex, who you then produce children with, and it's designed to teach you to grow up. Really, that's what marriage is designed to do. It's to teach you to become an adult. Our society is this really adolescent view of what marriage is, that, that marriage, or what sex is. That sex is supposed to be, every relationship you ever have is supposed to be like that, that first time in the back of a pickup truck when you were 17. That's, that's what sex is going to be like your entire life, and that's what sex should always be. And that if you weren't, and that if sex isn't like that, something is missing in your relationship, because your relationship is built around sex. And she's saying the predictable outgrowth of that is, okay, well, it's not going to be like that with your wife, because you both get older, you know each other better, and there isn't that same excitement. And that's true, so why not just stop a robot? Right, not, and why, not go, uh, why not go after Roby for, Rosie from the Jetsons? <laughs> and the answer is, first of all, don't harass the help. But second of all... <laughs> but second of all, sexual compatibility is something that actually is built over time. Okay, there is the initial sexual spark, obviously. But sexual compatibility is something that grows and changes within a marriage. And sex 
becomes not just a form of physical stimulus, it becomes a form of emotional bonding with your spouse. Now, this is why sex within marriage is particularly important for women, because the truth is that women have been disproportionately harmed by the promiscuous sexual mentality of modern society, because women inherently are built evolutionarily to connect emotion with sex in a way that men simply are not. But this is what teaches men to become men to curb their own behavior, to actually treat women like human beings and not just sex objects. Having sex confined within marriage makes men better men. It makes them better. And if they are treating their spouses badly, if they are treating women badly within marriage because they have an adolescent view of sex, that's because they need to grow up. And I'd like all the dudes in the audience to notice something. Most of the cheers that are happening right now are from the ladies in the audience. Because you know what? It turns out that what ladies actually want is not what Ariana Grande says they want in her music videos. What ladies actually want is to get married and be married to one person and have children for that one person, with that one person, okay, and to form a partnership with that one person and to grow and change and love for their whole life. That is what women are looking for. So, and if you are a good man, that is what you're looking for too. So the commercialization of sex is merely an outgrowth of prior commercialization, so it's, it's an inevitable thing that eventually we'll get to the point where we're having sex with inanimate objects and then bragging to ourselves about how we've made society a better place. We've made society an infinitely worse place. If you want to have a solid relationship, if you want to have a better life, if you want to be a better person, right, which should be your goal, it should be your telos, your Aristotelian goal in life, it should be your telos in life, to become a better person, to use your reason and not your genitals as your guiding force. Okay, if that is the case, then yes, sex has a wonderful and glorious and fun place within life, but to make it the sole goal of a relationship or to take it outside of a relationship altogether is to rob it of its actual importance and meaning. All righty. Well, we'll have much more to talk about tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Senya Villarreal. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caramina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire Ford Publishing production. Copyright Ford Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.